Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRP. And joining me once again is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter, at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Pretty good. It's Mad Monday. I have my beer next to me. Um, I've dipped my genitals in the beer, as you do on Mad Monday. And I've got all the curtains closed so that nobody with a telescopic lens can just happen to see what's happening on Mad Monday here. So it's all good. And what's your music of choice today? Um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. Lovely, lovely. Um, I'm dosed up on alcohol, but it's more of the medicinal version. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sick again. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sick again. Um, My Uh, Mad Monday celebration started a day early. I'm pretty sure... Well, I'm pretty sure that the... uh, the tag team, Greeno started getting better, and then he tagged you in, and you come in like cough and phlegm everywhere. So yeah. um, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. That's exactly how it works. Um, but I think my flu may be actually more related to the fact that I was just running around naked after the West Tigers secured ninth again. Um, massive celebration. I was so overjoyed. Um, with ninth place, uh, as I said on the radio on the weekend, there's 8th, there's West Tigers, and then there's 10th. That's how it goes in the NRL, and um, just a superb way to end the season for the Tigers, really. It was, and the funny thing is, on TV, you got the impression that the game between the Tigers and the Sharks was the most important match of the of the round. Mm-hmm. But for yeah. me, it was Penrith versus Newcastle, because if Newcastle got up in that game, West Tigers would have finished 10th. Yeah, and that, that would have been a bit weird. Like and I mean, I don't, I don't see, I don't see how the top eight is more important than the Tigers finishing ninth. I don't. No. So I mean, to that me, was your that grand was final. Uh, that's right. Was watching Penrith absolutely cane the living hell out of Newcastle. That was a good win for Penrith because that really helped our for and against as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, know, I actually made a, a comment uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, and where I suggested that that was possibly the worst way. Penrith season could have ended because yeah. you've gone through that whole season with expectations of being in the top four. Some people even suggesting you'd be in the grand final and then just meandered through the year, struggled to have any cohesion in attack. And then the last game of the year, rack up half a century against Newcastle. Yeah. And the team that you sort of level with on the ladder for all intents and purposes. Um, and it's like, we are so much better than we are on the ladder. <laughs> But, you know, what can you do? I mean, at Penrith, we're kind of used to disappointment. We're used to high expectations and being disappointed heavily. So um, I gave up on the Panthers season about three or four weeks ago. So like anything that happened after, I think it was the Brisbane game that they lost and anything that happened after that, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, It was good to see my boy. He scored four tries. And he broke the club record for points in the game. I believe he got uh, 34 points. That's correct. So, he also brought up his 600th career point. Wow, he's tearing. He's going to be... He must be next in line to be the top point scorer in terms of who's going to really take the record out there, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so um, him and Latrell Mitchell. But I think Latrell Mitchell's a little bit behind him. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, it was good to see him play well. Uh, I, I don't put any of our our season failure 
on Nathan Cleary's shoulders at all. I think he's probably been our best player throughout the season. Um, probably our most consistent player. So it was good to see him have a good performance. Um, but outside of that, you know, I mean, as you say, the only good thing about it is that their win allowed the West Tigers to gain their rightful spot. And that was pleasing to see. Yeah, clinched ninth with um, a 50-point better points difference than Penrith had. How about Robbie Farah getting an extremely late call-up? Um, I saw video footage on Twitter just as it, it must have been five minutes after it happened. And I was on the radio at the time, and he'd been ruled out about 48 hours before, I believe. Yep. And, and he gets the call up, and he's in the number 21 jersey, and you could see he was, when he was when he was kitted up and he's about to go out, he was, you know, a bit emotional. And, man, it started making me emotional. It was it was one of those special moments in rugby league. Yeah, it was it was massive. I mean, to have all that happen, that, that build up, that hype, you could almost make a movie out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, special. It was pretty special. I, unfortunately, I didn't get to see any of the game. Uh, but, yeah, I got to see that, and I was like, oh, man, someone's cutting onions in here. Yeah, I was watching the uh, I was watching the build up to the before it, and they were interviewing Maguire on Fox Sports, yeah. and then you see him listen to something in his earpiece. He says, "I've just been told that I think Corey Thompson's may have an injury, so stay tuned. Robbie might have to play yet." Wow! Holy and then crap. they cut to the dressing room and they show Farrah and he's um he's pretty much just having a bit of a lighthearted chat with Moses and Bai. And he's got his yeah. training, he's got his training gear on, but everyone else is kid out in their jumpers and stuff already. And then, well, actually, no, the Tigers were out on the field doing their training. He wasn't out there training with them. So he'd already just consigned to the fact that he wasn't playing today. Yeah. He's just in the back end having a chat with, with him by. And then a trainer turns up. And yeah. then Farrah's like, goes all serious. There's, there's no more having fun around. He's like, you, you fucking what? Yeah. And then um, goes to his bag, pulls out his boots, starts putting them on. <sighs> and someone walks over with a number 21 jumper and then... Um, Goes to hand it to him, and he's too busy tying his shoes, so they just pop it on the floor next to him. Yeah, he's just in the room, pretty much on his own, with one or two other people hanging around while everyone else is on the field. Oh, man, and then what a he picks moment. up his jumper and pops it on. Man, it was just made for TV. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh man, I wish I'd seen all of that. Damn. Ah, yeah, oh, that is like a movie, hey? Yeah, like that's then, legitimate. Uh, would be a, a beautiful end to a movie. Yeah. And just like a good a good movie, the the fairy tale doesn't happen in the end because mm. you can't have it all going great. No, uh, but he still gets his sent off in front of uh, a absolute. I mean, I've never seen Leichhardt pack like that. Have you? Uh, probably once or twice before, but yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty impressive crowd. Um, the funny thing is, he's probably the only player to get two farewell games at the one ground. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> he got a farewell a few years ago when the Tigers finally cut him loose um, yeah. and he went to South. And then he gets to do it again. So uh, both both on sort of bitter moments, one with a broken leg, one being cut by the club he didn't want to leave. So, But uh, at least he got to leave sort of on his terms, I guess, and not, not through an injury. And he did okay, you told me. Yeah, I don't think he... He didn't play brilliantly, but then again... He did have a busted leg, and he didn't get a huge yeah. amount of time. So, 
Yeah. I think it was more of a token thing they just gave him at the end of the game. I think there must have been a part of the West Tigers that thought, if we're not in this game at half time, mm-hmm. as in ahead on the la- on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. then we may struggle to keep up with Cronulla in the second half because the Sharks have all year been a very very strong side in the second half, probably better yeah. than most sides. And Tigers were down at half time by two points, I think, and then Cronulla just had a score and blitz put on two or three tries in short time, and that was it. So that's when Farrah came on, when the game was already lost. I tell you what, I I literally do believe in the rugby league gods, right? And we talked all week about how if he, they can't really have him on the, on the bench. They just couldn't. It would mess it up for them and stuff like that. He's not fully fit, obviously. And then just on the day, the rugby league gods say, no, this is happening. And it just, you know, Corey Thompson, unfortunate, gets injured in the warm-up, but it just, he gets his chance, and it was a legitimate rugby league thing, you know? It wasn't like, it wasn't a token gesture by the club. It wasn't them basically going in thinking, man, we, you know, we're going to take him on the bench and we'll probably lose anyway. It was none of that. It was like a proper rugby league thing. And, yeah. uh, Man, what a what a special. That's why I love rugby league. Sometimes there's these special moments that other sports would love to have moments like we have in rugby league, and we have them so often. I think we take them for granted. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, I'm looking at because we're looking at some of the news and some of the big items that have happened over the week. Mm-hmm. And yesterday. Not just the uh, the Tigers game, but the Penrith game. Apparently, with five minutes left in the game, David Clemmer was subbed off. Mm. And as he's run off the field, um, he's been called to come back on to, to take place in a scrum. Yeah. Now, as he's done this, apparently he's turned and looked to someone to the, on the sideline and called them a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, the NRL's now investigating this. Yeah. I, don't know why. Like, if someone's done something stupid or made a mistake, then I think that opens the door to be co- being called a fucking idiot. Yeah, and like when you told it to me, I at first I was like, okay, he said something to the touch and stuff. But then thinking about it a little bit further, my guess is that he was taken off the field. And this is just a guess. I didn't get to see the Panthers game e- either. My guess is that he was taken off the field and he knew that he had to stay on for the scrum. And then he's had to run back on the field, and whoever took him off the field, he might have said to them, "Look, I've got to stay on for the scrum." And they're like, "Oh," and he's turned around and said, "Fucking idiot! I told you," you know. Yeah. Um, and yet, I can see where the NRL wants to investigate that because you don't want players sort of yelling that at ref- at referees or touchies or even game officials that are on the sideline. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he was just swearing at whoever it was that took him off the field. So we'll see what happens with that. And I think it needs some context because that happened when the the Knights were down 54-10 mm. and he, he'd pretty much been the only player busting his backside for the club, not just in that game, but all year. Yeah. Every week, all year. So that was sheer frustration. Nothing else there. Mm-hmm. Um, the NRL has been contacted for comment um, but got no response. Yeah, because well, they're investigating it. Like, what are they? What do the media want? It's like, oh yeah, our comment is he's guilty, but we're going to yeah. investigate it. Like, um, <laughs> the Daily like Telegraph that. also attempted to contact Clemmer via text message. Now, yeah. 
A, you've got a phone in your hand, just call him. But B, it says he attempted to contact Clemmer via text message. So what, they were unable to send the text message? Yeah. They, they didn't get a read receipt? Like, what yeah. the hell, man? They didn't know how to send it? Are they still using Nokia 3310s? I, if, I was a, if I was a player and I got a text from a journo, I can't explain how angry I would be. Like, I get, I, I get angry when my phone company rings me up with new offers to the point where I remember once I was getting, I was getting towards the end of my deal and I started getting phone phone calls, and they were from, like, numbers that I didn't know. And if it's a number I don't know, I don't pick it up because, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in talking to people I don't know. So anyway, it ended up being a phone company. So I rang them up, and I said, if I get another one of these calls, I'm gone, and I want it written on my thing. So I got a call, like, about three days later from the phone company, and I said, what's your name, right? And they said their name, and I said, I want you – to go and get your supervisor right now because I need you to explain to them that I've been a customer with you for 10-plus years and your phone call today has lost me as a customer. So go and get your supervisor. I was so angry. <laughs> so you can imagine if I got a text from some scumbag journalist, man. I was just... The way it's phrased, I just thought maybe they were trying to send it via a Nokia 3310 where you had to press... Remember, you had to press the button three times for the third letter on the keypad? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're just pressing it once going, why isn't the K coming up? Yeah. It's, uh... they're, trying, they're trying to send Clemmer a message. It's just coming up with a whole heap of mumbo-jumbo because they don't know how to get the third letter on each button or the second letter. Yeah. Just pressing it once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It may text in a arduous process. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... It certainly did, boy. That was that were bad days. I tell you um, what, you get to a point though where you kind of like get used to the the keypad. So it's like, you know, I'm just looking at the keypad now on my phone, and yeah, I mean, how many one? You'd go one and then two. So you'd press one seven once and then eight twice, and then you'd have to press seven four times and then wait and press seven four times again and then press nine three times and it was just really really annoying anyway it was um speaking of annoying good segue here yes um, brookvale oval has asbestos now this, this was found when testing of the soil was being done i think i think it was um as part of uh, what was it work work they plan to do out there to add I think a upgrade a stadium or part of the seating out there or some some sort of matter? Oh really? What were they going to do? Like take out I don't know some of the I mean what, how do you upgrade the hill outside of just putting a stand there? I know like, what are they going to put in? It was, it was for the center of excellence, uh, which, okay. I, which I thought... they should which they should call the Trent Barrett Center of Excellence. Well, you know what I think that they were doing? I think that they were, they needed to dig up a part of the hill to put a plinth because they've got to build a bronze statue in honour of Trent Barrett and everything he's done for the Manly Sea Eagles. I think that's what it actually was. Would you put it on the hill or out, outside the gates? Oh, you know where I would put it? I, I would put it, like, inside one of the toilet blocks. I wouldn't put it in the female toilets because I think that the lineup would get really big for some reason. 
but I would put it in the men's toilets, maybe lie it down in the trough and just <laughs> that'd be perfect place for it. No one would miss. The aim would be perfect. They'd be like, there's no piss on the ground anymore. It's really weird. Yeah, we'd be able to save 50 grand a year because they'd have to have a cleaner for the men's toilet. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, I, I can't believe it. You go in there, it's spotless. <laughs> um, so because of this, this asbestos finding there, Yeah. the NRL has delayed ticket sales until Tuesday morning, which is, that's when, obviously, the club has to get back to them or the ground has to get back to them about, you know, what their finding was. Um, well, look, if they've detected asbestos, right, even if it's a small amount, you not you can't clean that up real easy. So if they've detected it, and they obviously have, they just can't play finals footy there. Yeah. I, it does raise questions about how long has it been there for. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. Like, in all of this, you have not heard one person say, Oh no, the Manly supporters. Are they all right? <laughs> no, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that's been a very interesting part of yeah, this whole story. Like, yeah, it's like have we. You mean we've exposed tens of thousands of Manly supporters over the years to asbestos? It's like, nah. It's like, hmm. Let's move this game. So, Sissy, the asbestos was only located in one area. It may yeah. be as simple as ripping up and replacing the grass. Or just cordon it off. Yeah, it's not that simple. <laughs> just, just put a tarp over it. Yeah. Ah, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, yeah, asbestos doesn't work like that, man. Yeah. You know, oh, and uh, by the way, with the winds we're having in Sydney, oh, it'll be fine. We'll just we'll just tape it off and the asbestos will know you can't go over the tape. Yeah, we'll just rip it up, fully expose yeah. it to the air and have it blow all around the place. That'll be great. That'll yeah, that'll be up. brilliant. That'll just blow away. It'll just go to some other suburb. It won't be at Manly anymore. Yeah, it'll be... Uh, there's, a, there's a hotel pretty close to the stadium. I've stayed in there, actually. Um, and and yeah, you survived? Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm try- wow. I can't remember the name of the hotel. It might have been a, a Ridges or something. I just cannot Bates. remember. Hey? Bates. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, the old lady there is really, really, really nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a uh, fascinating story. So if, if the game doesn't, if if the NRL decides that it's too big, too big a risk, yeah, then the final between Manly and Cronulla is going to be played at Bankwest Stadium. Yeah, now, which is pretty cool, actually. I think if Manly are not capable of providing a safe home ground, then they yeah. should lose their home ground advantage and it should go to Shark Park. One hundred percent. Like, there's no excuses. I mean, we're not talking about something small. It's not like we're saying, you know, the turf is a bit off or something, and that can be a little bit out of a club's control. Like, you can chase the turf, and it just does something about it just doesn't settle. This is asbestos, man. You can't, yeah. you, it, like, and it's been there, and it's, you know, it comes up now in the finals after a whole season. Yeah, you lose your home ground advantage. I'm sorry. And the thing is, you played at Parramatta Stadium, and you're take, now taking the game to a beautiful stadium. Um, it'd be great for the NRL. It'd be great for Rugby League. I think it'd be a much better atmosphere. Uh, it'd be a better viewing experience for both sets of fans, and it's neither fans' home ground. It's like a, you, you really couldn't have more of a neutral venue venue in Sydney than than Parramatta Stadium. So well, it, it takes you back to the, the late 80s, early 90s when... 
all finals were played at neutral venues, and most of the time that was Parramatta because their team stopped making the finals then. Yeah, and I guess the the thing is too, um, like if if you're forced into having a neutral venue in Sydney, um, this one's a good one for these two teams. Uh, yeah. I I tend to think that if you win home field advantage, you should have that home field advantage, provided you've got. I mean, if you say you get a team like, um, say Shark Park, all right, let's pick Shark Park. We'll go and and pile into the Sharks for a second here. If you have Shark Park and you think that you could get 30,000 to a game and Shark Park doesn't have a capacity that can hold that anywhere close, I don't have a problem with moving it 18 kilometres to the SFS. But, you know, it's somewhere like Penrith where, you know, I can't ever imagine you'd have a Penrith game for any other team coming to Penrith where you could say, oh, yeah, this is going to get an absolutely ginormous crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it, I think it's horses for courses, and that that's a problem because you can't just make it up as you go. you kind of got to have it locked into place. This is right. Um, so if, if if Manly has to have the home game advantage, um, what venue could they use that's close to Brookvale that can yeah. handle a crowd of at least let's say, at least 15,000. At this stage, I'm thinking um, Central Coast. Yeah. North Sydney Oval. And that's yeah. it. And North Sydney Oval, I I couldn't ever play another NRL game there. No. Um, you'd have to go Central Coast. Look, if I'm Manly, and they, they really believe that they've got any sort of presence in the Central Coast, I just say to the NRL, Central Coast Stadium, Let's let's do it. We'll rock it out. We'll get twenty twenty thousand there. We'll still have some sort of home field advantage. Problem is, I don't think that the people on the Central Coast like the Manly Seagulls. That that is a big problem. Yeah. So, are there any other grounds in Manly that they could use? Um, I don't really know. Hey, you got Brookie. I can't think of another ground. I'm sure that there's some local park. I mean, it wouldn't be much worse than bloody Brookvale, a local park. Just play it Just play it at a local park. That'd be great. Well, it wouldn't be much different, would it? No, <laughs> unless asbestos, which is important. Well, depends. Let's have a, let me have a look on Google Maps here. What yeah. have they got? Find a patch of, find a square of, like, greenery, and we'll play it there. You, they just can't play it there. Um, they cannot work it out... Especially, you know what, if it was piss and rain and it wasn't windy, I'd say, oh, maybe they can get this stuff under control. It's sunny and it's blowing wind. It's like the very worst conditions you could have if you've got a random asbestos problem and they just can't play the game there. And if they, I just can't imagine that the NRL can can allow it to happen. Yeah, they could go to the, uh, just down the road, Yeah, to the... John Fisher Park. Okay. People just... And they could make it... Do some good advertising. Yeah. So this is to say our thank you Trent round. <laughs> yeah. Right? Everybody bring a chair because you need to. There's no seating there. Yeah. That'd be good. And, and Trent Barrett... Like everyone's standing around about an hour before kickoff and then Trent Barrett turns up with 15,000 white chairs from Bunnings and everyone oh. cheers him. 
Yeah, they, he'd be like a they, hero of the day. Yeah, and they put him in one of the chairs and they carry him around the stadium as they all of the locals start putting the chairs out in like in lines around the the stadium, and then like, yeah, that would be magical. And I think okay. that Trent Barrett deserves that moment. Exactly. I can just imagine it coming in and there's a big truck full of chairs mm. and Trent's just standing on the back on top of all of them with his hand in the air. Oh, it'd be beautiful. The rugby league gods, I'm telling you. It's lining they're up. They're back. Manly, get on this. Seriously. Yeah. I look, it's, it's literally just a few k's down the road from Brookvale. So it's not like you're putting people out of the, out of the way too much. Yeah, it's uh, the Trent Barrett thank you game. Yeah. I love thank, this idea. Thank you, Trent, for getting us back into the finals. Yeah. Without him, where would Manly be? I mean, before he turned up, they were just absolutely, you know. Successful. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't be successful all the time. No. You, ne- you know what? Sometimes you need someone to come into a, a team and completely ruin it to really get you where you want to be, which is back to being successful. And Trent Barrett did that. And apart from that, he taught the Trebojevic's how to play footy as well. Exactly so, right. And he signed Suli. You know, so he woke Suli up, knocked on the car window. I was like, hey, Suls. Have some chicken nuggets. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll give you some. Fed him, fed him through the little gap at the top of the window. Yeah. He actually, what he did is he knocked on the window and McNuggets wakes up and he's like, <laughs> I can... I can smell some nuggets, some McNuggets, yeah. And he looks and he's like, ooh, a chicken nugget. And then he opens his car door and goes, ooh, a chicken nugget, ooh, a chicken nugget. And it led him all the way to Brookvale Oval. That's all right. Mm. And every time they do it in the sprints, Trent would just stand at the other end of the ground just waving a box of chicken nuggets in the air. Yeah. Come and get it. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Now, oh, boy. Now comes a really... uh, a really odd moment where we are going to agree with Phil Rothfield. Ugh. Hang on. Uh, I feel like I need to put on some protection or something. This this shows how professional and and balanced that we are. Exactly. We, it does. We will show that we, we're not just anti the media. Sometimes the media does get it right. It's not often, but this is one time they got it right. Finally, uh, after 76 episodes... We're going to say the media did something right. Yeah. Uh, Phil Rothfield says, Phil Gould is not the man to fix the Dragons' mess. Yes. I agree. Fully agree. Now, there's a few comments in here where I'll read them out to you. You may okay. disagree with what he's saying okay. about what he did with Penrith. Okay. But the stuff about the Dragons, obviously. So he's going to hear, It was abandoned nine years later, and Gus walked away without a premiership, but with a $1 million golden handshake. He left behind a huge culture problem from a sex tape controversy, which he didn't create. Yeah. And other off-field dramas, which he didn't create. A club that has failed dismally this year, not his fault. And a business that loses up to $5 million each year, does it? Well, that none of them make money, Andrew. We talked about this in the last episode. That's right. None of them make but money. Losing $5 million a year? Oh, well, I mean, look, just go. all you got to do, you drive to Penrith and go to the Leagues Club and just have a look. Just have a look around, yeah. you know. Uh, they're, they're all right. They're, yeah, if they're losing money, I feel like it probably works out all right for tax reasons. You know? <laughs> That's you right. Know, it's like, oh yeah, I know we, I know we just built an entire retirement community or something next to the, 
next to the next to the bloody leagues club. But we're broke, son. Yeah. So Phil says seriously, if there was a model case on how not to run a football club, it would be Penrith. Yeah. He doesn't really mention the fact that 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 junior pathway thing that Gus set up is possibly one of the best that's ever existed in rugby league. And the thing that needs to be remembered is when Phil Gould got there, there was no leadership in terms of management. The junior pathways had been literally basically shut down. Like, we were bringing no one through. Um, We needed somebody to come in and say, I'm in charge now. I'm changing everything. You're going to do it my way. Rugby league, the best times for rugby league is when you've got a dictator running everything. And Phil Gould did set up and change the club on pathways where if this is if this is us at a bad point, every single Penrith fan will take the, that. You know, we've got we've got a team that has a lot of talent in it. We have, I mean, you look at how many youngsters we've brought through this year. We've got yeah. great youngsters in our lower grades. Um, our our reserve grade team was knocked out. I actually called the game. Our reserve grade team was knocked out of the finals in the first week. But there's some really good young players in that reserve grade team. Um, and, yeah, if this, I mean, he literally come in. If we had have stayed on the same pathway, we would have ended up being a, nothing more than a shell of a club. And we're not that anymore. So, yeah, you, I mean... He didn't. He didn't finish the job off as he probably would have liked, and everyone wanted him to. But if this is us bad, I will take that over some of the times where we've been good. Because when we've been good in the past, it's been the juniors just coming through and just forcing us to success. But all the problems were still there anyway, and so we're a very different club from when Full Gould arrived. And I know I give him shit. I give him a lot of shit. Likewise. Uh, I do take the piss sometimes, but if he hadn't turned up and did the job that he had to do, we literally might have been at a point where the NRL could have looked at taking us over. So, now, Who was the uh, Panthers head coach when he arrived? One, Matthew Elliott. And see, this is the reason why Phil should be revered by Panthers people, because that person's not the coach there anymore. The story goes that he went in and he had he talked to the players and he said, tell me about the game plan. And they were like, oh, I don't know what you talked about. And Matthew Elliott was packing up his wind chimes and his, you know, his oil burners and shit about three days later. <laughs> there you go. It's as simple as that. But... Mm. uh where would we rate Paul McGregor in regards to, or in relation to um, Matthew Elliott? Like, okay, who, would so, you rate as, who would you rate as being better? And is it by much? Okay, so let's put this on a scale. Let's put the, and it's got to be a wide scale. So let's do one to 100. So 100 is a Craig Bellamy. Okay. okay? Um, and at the other end of the scale, it, it's zero is Matthew Elliott. And let's pick an in-between. Let's say a... Who's an in-between? Is is Matthew Elliott the worst coach ever in the NRL history? Uh, let me think about this. Would you say Jason Taylor was better than him? Jason, I would take Jason Taylor over Matthew Elliott every single day. What every about, day. 
What about Craig Hodges? I can't remember him. <laughs> he's, he's the interim coach for the Titans. He's been there twice. He's never oh. won a game. Yeah, take he's, him. I'd take I him over Elliot. He's had seven games now and lost all of them. 100%. I'll take him over Elliot. Um, Shane Flanagan? 100%. Yeah. Trent Barrett? I would take Trent Barrett over Matthew Elliott. Uh, Sean Wayne? <laughs> okay, now we're testing them. <laughs> now we get now we get English to, coaches. Now my brain is ticking over. You know, he's an English coach. We know that they're all terrible. We know they don't know rugby league. They've all got egos for some reason. I don't know why. Um, damn, damn. I, I I think I would take Matthew Elliott over Sean Wayne. Yeah, I would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now we've got to figure out whether Sean Wayne's the worst that's ever been. Is he worse than, say, let's see, what have we got here? So but we've got to, we've got to mention Stephen Kearney in here. Oh, yes, and Brad Arthur. And Brad Arthur. So I would take Arthur. Right? I'd, say, I'd, I'd put Arthur ahead of Kearney because yeah. Kearney had the luxury of coming through the... Uh, the the what was it the Bellamy School? Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I always love that. It's like yeah, he sat next to Craig Bellamy. He must be a good coach. <laughs> yeah, um, not sure if Arthur did or not. If he did, then I think Arthur may have listened a little bit more often. Didn't Brad Arthur come through the Manly system? Am I right in saying that? I, I really don't know where these coaches come from mm-hmm. half the time. Um, yeah, he could have done. He could have done. Um. Yeah. See, I would have Brad Arthur ahead of Elliot. a lot of those people. Def- I'd have him ahead of Elliot, definitely. Would you have Kearney ahead of Elliot? See, that's a tough one. Um, See, the I, thing is, okay, I rate McGregor lower than Kearney because McGregor's got a better squad than Kearney, and he's he's been worse. That's a really good point. If you put Kearney as the coach of that team. I don't think Kearney could make them worse, but no. I think he might be able. He might luck into making them better. Yeah. Whereas if you put McGregor over his Warriors coach, they get a spoon. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so then Kearney versus Matthew Elliott. I I think what I would do is I would take Kearney over Elliott, and I'll tell you why. I don't think Kearney stops using the Panthers' lower grades. Uh, like, literally... No, that, that's true, that's true. Yeah, you know, I He's think Kearney bit... would still bring the youngsters through at some level. Yeah, he is average with using juniors, but he does bring them through a little bit. Um, yeah. Like, McGregor... there's average, but then there's below average. And, yeah. uh, and then there's Matthew Elliott under that. I think McGregor is very much on par with Elliott. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the thing of like, there's one style and it never changes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the current NRL demands. That's their style. Like Matthew Elliott, I tell you what happens. Matthew Elliott comes in, right? He brings in his trainers. All of a sudden, all the players are like five kilograms heavier than they need to be on average. Everyone, like even the halfback. Everyone's like, they can do great numbers in the gym. Fucking completely immobile, okay? And then in attack, 
it's just hit-ups. It's just hit-ups, and then whatever you want to do after that, like late in a tackle count. And Pretty much you... putting up a bomb to the corner and hoping it bounces your way. That's the yeah, Dragons exactly. method. Exactly. And, and your wingers, your wingers have to be someone that's like probably a second rower, really, that's just got some pace. And then you just do that. It's a rinse and repeat, and then the juniors stop coming through, and then, oh, man. Why are we going down this pathway, Andrew? It's Mad Monday. We're supposed to be happy. Well, we're, we're, we're trying to get a gauge as to the coaching the coaching uh, stock and levels and abilities here. Yeah, so, that's true. Let, so let's get back to the Dragons then. Okay, back to the Dragons. Um, Phil Gould has I, been brought in to review the club. He said it's not a review of the head coach, Paul McGregor. No. Um, Buzz he's, says, review, he's reviewing everything except the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that needs to be reviewed. Yeah, yeah. The one thing That's everyone good. is demanding gets reviewed, like the people who are invested in the game, i.e. the fans. Yeah. It's not it's, even. It's no longer even fans of the Dragons. It's fans of the NRL because we want to see every club playing the best they can because then we get the best competition we can. And I the Dragons what, are not second last side. No, and like the Dragons have a very, very big supporter base. I, I dare say the biggest actual supporter base in Sydney. I think that uh, Rabbitohs fans would argue with me, but if the Rabbitohs were as bad as the Dragons, I don't think they averaged 9,000 fans through the gate, right? I love watching the Dragons when they're playing well and when they're good and when they're in finals because there's nothing better than watching the Dragons chug in the finals. It's the best. Exactly. But, But I tell you what, to review everything except the head coach is farcical. Yeah, why it's bother? just a joke, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's what I think has happened, right? If you if you are at the Dragons and you think, man, everyone's on the chopping block here, you call up Phil Gould and you say, hey, hey Gus, I need you to come in. I need you to do a review. Then all of a sudden you become part of the solution, right? And you don't get rid of people that are looking for the solution, do you? And then Gus comes in. And he's your mate. And he doesn't turn around and sit down at the end of the day with the owner and say, listen, my mate is the first one you've got to sack. He's terrible. Okay? So you become part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I think it's really brilliant moves that are going on. And I don't necessarily think that it's Paul McGregor that has brought in Gus Gould. But I think it's just brilliant maneuvering to become part of this solution rather than part of the problem because in reality all of them need to go like the whole coaching staff the the football management all of that need to go yeah everyone who was involved in giving mcgregor a contract extension after six weeks or five weeks of the competition um based on the fact that they just won three straight games when no other team none were interested in mcgregor services whatsoever Mm. There's no point to re-sign him then. Just wait no. till the end of the year and see what happens. But they re sign him, and then they won, what, three three or four games for the rest of the year? Just yeah. atrocious. It's craziness. And Woeful they management. should all go. Yeah, every single person who signed off on that, who agreed with it, who said, that's a good idea, let's re-sign him now, should all lose their jobs at that club. Because that what? is just horrendous management. If I'm the owner, I sit those people down... And I say to them, you've cost me a million dollars for a guy I've got to pay out who can't coach. Like, you're fired. Go away. Pack up your crap and leave. 
because it's literally not only cost them money, but it's cost them time. It's cost them a season, and they all have to go. Um, I'm not talking about the the administrative staff itself. I'm talking about the people that are involved in the football side of things and the board. Everyone else you can keep, but all of those people need to go. Yeah, I know. I would give that squad this, you know, 2020 to prove that they deserve to be in that first grade squad. I think they've got they need a a different coach. Yeah, a half decent coach. You put them in, that's a finals team. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's a it's a fantastic squad. I reckon if you, I reckon pretty much every NRL club would look at that Dragon squad and say, um, can we swap like half your squad with ours? One hundred percent. Hell, I'd do it at Penrith. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd nearly take their entire side at the Tigers. <laughs> I, w- I watch their uh, their reserve grade team, and I'll keep referring to it. I'll probably get very old very quickly. But uh, I watched their reserve grade team. They they won on the weekend. Very, very good game. It was a golden point game against the Bulldogs. And it was interesting watching their side because their forward pack, it, it was probably a bit soft compared to the Bulldogs, which you can understand because their first grade pack is so good and so deep. Um, and their backs were very, very sharp. Like, really sharp. And... Like so, it's not like that. They haven't got some talent at that club. Unfortunately, they've lost a bit of talent. There's um, uh, Masters Stephen Masters, who apparently is going to South Sydney next year, and so whoever is running the football side of things, they're stuffing up at more than one level, because he, sh- I mean, he should have been playing first grade footy from what I saw, and I've watched him a few times this year in reserve grade. He's dominant in reserve grade and and for him to not get a run in the centers in first grade this year and like I'm talking all season someone stuffed up exactly um you get the impression reading this article from from buzz yeah that he doesn't like gus wait wait a minute wait a minute it's saying that there's a journalist that's letting some personal issues get involved in their writing. Oh yeah. I, I don't. I don't think that that's possible, Andrew. They're also yeah. they're also uh, unbiased and level-headed. He's uh. Well, let's have a bit of a read, shall we? Okay. You can't tell me if you're hearing this that there isn't some sort of frustration from Buzz towards Gus. Okay. <laughs> I love the way you put it, frustration. (laughs) Um, The last time Gus conducted a coaching review, he got it hopelessly wrong and inexplicably sacked Anthony Griffin six months after signing into a new three-year contract. Under Griffin, the Panthers were running equal fourth. His replacement, Ivan Cleary, signed on a $4 million deal, has, to date, been a failure. The player reviews at the Dragons will be interesting. Do they really need Gus to work out Ben Hunt on $1.2 million a year? It's not value for money. Do they really need Gus... To work out, they missed Jack DeBellin all year and Gareth Whitton with a shoulder injury for most of the year. You start looking at Gus's player recruitment at the Panthers and wonder what he could possibly bring to the Dragons. He signed Fijian tri-scoring sensation, Mike Acevo for two years and let him go. He signed Wonga Blake on a long-term deal, got released to Parramatta. He signed Regan Campbell-Gillard on a long-term deal, about to go to Parramatta. James Maloney signed for three years, about to about to also leave. Uh, he's been released. He signed Dalmatini Zalesniak long-term. Again, he's off to the Dogs. Dean Farrow got a five-year deal in 2017. He's now being shopped to rival clubs. Nathan Cleary got a $1 million a year deal and hasn't aimed up. 
He broke Penrith's points scoring record on Sunday, but it was a nothing game. You go back further. Bryce Cartwright and Tyron Peachy to the Titans. Gus paid 800 grand a year for Trent Merrin, declared he should be New South Wales Blues captain, and then sacked him two years later. Idris, Soward, Lewis, who went on to win a Clive Churchill medal at the Sharks. Moylan, uh, James Roberts, Michael Jennings. In fairness, every club, every coach, every recruitment manager have made dud signings. Um, but Gus con- cornered the market in poor recruitment. Don't get me wrong, he left his legacy at Penrith in high performance with the connections at the big end of town who helped build a significant, a magnificent training academy. That's not what the Dragons need right now. Yeah, look, I think if I... The thing I would bring Phil Gould in to do, right, <clears throat> I would say to him, who is the person that you think would be good as a football manager, right, the overall, uh, overall football dude that's more hands-on with who gets signed, who gets released and stuff? And I'd get that person on board. And I would say to Gus, Gus, we need you to put in place all of the systems and the do you got to sort out the junior development pathways. We want you to look at um, things like that. I wouldn't have him directly involved in the squad stuff because there is definitely a Google way about going about things in terms of building a squad, who you sign, who you let go. And, I mean, it, it become a, it's become a running joke with the Panthers that they sign someone for four years and 18 months later they tap them on the shoulder and say, you've got to look for another club. That's not how you do things. And I've said before, I feel as though Phil Gould was running the Panthers, um, the Panthers roster the same way you run a fantasy rugby league roster where you sort of, you get, oh, I want that guy, and oh, now I don't want him, I want a new one, and now I want a new one. And it just, that's not how you run a football team's roster. Um, there's 100% problems that he, he caused. There's 100% bad decisions he made, and no one's perfect. They're every every single team makes bad, bad decisions. Um, but I, I think there's definitely a way that he goes about putting together squads and stuff. And when it comes to coaching, I think because he was a former coach, you've got to be careful in terms of a coach. A, a, anybody that's a rugby league coach is a certain sort of personality, and it's they know how to get things done. And anybody that doesn't do it their way, they don't know how to get things done. And so you're always going to get, if you've got a coach involved in hiring and sacking coaches, they're just going to keep hiring and sacking coaches. Because they ultimately know what's right and what's wrong. And these people they're hiring and stuff, they're not ideal because they're not the guy that, they're not Phil Gould, you know? Um, So there's certain things that Gus could do to help the Dragons. I don't know if they need help in those areas, but it's the stuff up top. It's the stuff at NRL level and that, that, and their board level. That's what needs sorted out. And I don't know... I don't know that I'd want Gus involved in the coaching selection and he's not going to have anything to do with the board level stuff. So that's that's going to be on the owner's shoulders. The only decision he needs to make there is sack the coach, sack the board. Don't put in any recommendations as to who should come in. Yeah. Just That should be what happens. Let the fans decide via election or whatever it is for board members. Yeah. Let that take place. But they need to get rid of the coach. That's the biggest problem right now and then they've got to get rid of the board. Anyone who thinks that re-signing the struggling Paul McGregor mm. was a good idea after just five games this year, um, those people need their head read. Yeah, definitely. That club's been in decline for two years, and, you know, this year and last year. 
Mm. They've been going downhill. Um, DeBellin, while a big loss for them, was not the reason why they played poorly all year. No. You can't sit there and tell me at the end of the year that the team missed DeBellin when after six rounds they'd won four games. Yeah. They clearly didn't miss him when they won four straight games and were in the top five. Exactly. How could and, they miss him like six months after that when they didn't miss him the first few months after he was gone missing? I don't I don't buy the logic behind that. That's just stupid. It really is. And and the thing is too, like I've you know, their recruitment you look at their recruitment, right, right? At first grade it it's you gotta say it's pretty damn good really. Like yeah. I know they've got some holes in that team. Every team has holes, that's the salary cap. But, like, you look at the players that they've brought into the club, there's some damn good players. And, like, the criticism of Hunt for a million bucks, that's a going rate for a halfback. Like, yeah. you get an above-average halfback. Like, if Brooks come onto the onto the open market right now, and I would say Brooks is an above-average halfback, a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much, I mean, you look at the fact that Ash Taylor's on a million. Yep. And Nathan Cleary, million. Yeah. Like Pretty much every halfback. Well, so, oh, Brook, Brooks isn't on a million. I think he's on 600 or so. Because I believe he took a, re, a slightly reduced upgrade, if this yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So he was offered, I think, a lot more than what he accepted because he thought if I take a little bit of a, a reduced upgrade, then that'll allow the club to hang on to the other players, you know, the other, the other members of the big four. But then they all just bailed on him anyway. Imagine oh. if the West Tigers had to play because there's been so many players at the West Tigers that took unders. Benji did, Robbie did, Brooks did. Imagine if they had to pay market value for those players, where they'd yeah. be over Man. the cap by a long way. Yeah. Imagine if Benji had to come along now. Ah, oh. like they're talking about about Caitlin Ponga being worth one one point five million dollars. Yeah. Um, God, imagine what Benji be like two million. Yeah. Exactly. That's crazy to think about. Have we got a um, Oh, she just drifts in and out. <laughs> um, so we'll move on then to a letter which reveals the depth of distrust between Tongan players and the Tongan Rugby League board. Yeah, this is interesting, this is. Yeah. It was sent to every major pillar of the international game, including the NRL Chief Executive, Tom Greenberg. Not too sure why he needed it. No, um, I, I like that idea. I think if you're doing what they're doing, you want it to be out in the open. It can't be something that people are like, oh, I don't really know what's yeah, going but, on here. But it's, it's an international level thing. I don't know what the what purpose you got sending it to Todd Greenberg. They did send it to Nigel Wood, the CEO of the Rugby League International Federation. Who's and useless. The, and the Rugby League Players Association also got it, which is fair enough. Who's um, who also useless. The... Four-page letter obtained by the City Telegraph offers explicit detail. It spells out the irreparable distrust between Tongan Playing Group and their board of directors and includes claims that money set aside for the growth and development of Tongan Rugby League has never been distributed. Mm-hmm. Written on behalf of the entire Tongan Playing Squad and penned by co-captains Tomalolo and Tokiaho mm-hmm. and senior players Will Hopawati, Entrafita and Manu Ma'u, the letter written last month also calls for the game's figureheads help to reinstate their sacked coaching staff. So yeah. they quote, this letter is to state that we, the players representing Tonga, do not support the current board of directors led by Chairman George Coleman, Coleman Tanagi and Secretary William Edwards. 
Um, if the above mentioned members are not removed at the upcoming AGM, we'll be withdrawing from the World Nice to be played in October and considering our position for the upcoming test against Great Britain and Australia. Uh, we want to continue to give the Island of Tonga a national sporting team they can be proud of. We take great pride knowing that we have played a huge part in increasing the profile of Tonga through our achievements on and off the playing field. Through those choices to represent Tonga, most of the players have made sacrifices and given up opportunities to play for other countries. Collectively as a team, we would have sacrificed close to half a million dollars in match earnings yearly to play for Tonga. However, our motives are not driven by money. We are willing to continue to make sacrifices, as our families have done, to represent the country we love and identify with. We do, however, need to ensure that our sacrifice is matched and acknowledged by the people who are appointed by the board. Yeah, it's interesting. Big, I uh, talk. Big talk. Yeah. And, I mean, if if you're part of the Tongan Rugby League, I don't see how you can not just go to these people that they want to stand down and say, man, for the good of the game, you've got to stand down. Like, even if they, whatever they're doing, they might say, look, we're, we're keeping this money so that we can do something with it. We're keeping this, even if they say, like, we, we want to build an academy, we want to have our own ground, whatever it is, at some point, if you get to that stage, maybe it's time for somebody else to take over and, and see what they can do with it. Um, a lot of the times I'm a bit wary of, when this sort of stuff happens, because I think that you can get other forces that can drive a situation for their own interests. But it seems, and and this is an interesting situation because if you go back even probably say six or seven years ago, what the, what Tongan rugby league was and how much money there was available through the test matches they played was vastly different to what is happening now where Tonga is basically, you know, in the top the top five rugby league nations now easily. Um, and I think you can make a real case that they're top four and maybe even top three. So things are changing very quickly in Tongan rugby league and maybe this is a change that needs to happen going forward for Tongan rugby league. Um, it's a big threat. I hope that it doesn't happen. It'd be tragic if it did. But I think that the letter is sincere. And, they, I mean, they really have left a lot of money on the table to play for Tonga, these players. And, you know, it's not it's not like there's this giant pot of gold they're talking about. You know, it's a, a lot less than many of them would have made. I mean, for feeder, just playing two origin matches would make more money than they're talking about here. But yeah. 50 grand in Tongan Rugby League is a lot of money. And I think that they've seen that something needs to change. And I think that the the coach being moved on is a real bad decision because what he has done, Wolf, Christian Wolf, unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. And the players obviously love him. And well, the thing I, is, he's I, been there before all these NRL players, like these elite players, came across too. He was there yeah. before this. Big massive surges where you got um, Tom Alolo and Fafita and Hopalwadi and the likes all coming across to play for Tonga. He was there before it. He was helping building the the grassroots of the game. So that's a large reason why they're so pissed off. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it says here that they also made it clear that we support a percentage of money we raise going back to Tonga to assist with growing the game at grassroots level. We made it very clear that we wanted to know where the money went, 
who was responsible for it, and some accountability that the money was spent in the right areas. Most importantly, we'll promise communication and transparency with this. We have been informed that approximately 55000 Australian dollars has been used or removed from the ARLC account by the board and not used on our team. This is not acceptable. It goes directly against what we were promised has been done. Um, the article then has pictures from players, yeah. um, their handwritten testimonies that they will not play unless things would be changed. Yeah. And they're written and signed by the players. So there's one by um, Satili Tupanua from the Roosters, mm-hmm. another from Sione Katoa, uh, Will Hopawadi, Manasai Fainu, uh, Sia Takotokahio, Tavita Pangai Jr., John Aziata, uh, Tavita Totola, Mahe Fanua, Saliva Havili. When you throw in also the fact that... Um, Andrew Fafita and uh, Jason Tormalolo are also supporting this movement. Mm. Who are they even going to have? Like, you've just lost the heart and soul of that club and all of the great players that make it what it is. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, they're not really in a position where... And look, I think that Tonga could probably name a team of local Tongan players and, and for the nines I'm talking about and not go too badly. They'd be disappointing, obviously, compared to where you would expect them to be. But I think that they'd go all right. And I think the same thing about, like, Fiji. I think you could probably name nine Fiji and, like, cab drivers. (laughs) And they'd be really, really good at rugby league. Fiji's unbelievable when it comes to talent. But, like, so I think they'd go all right in the nines. But in the test match, they'd get flogged. And, you know, when you look at that difference between... I mean, if they named their best side against Great Britain, damn. Can you imagine? Tongan, I, can't, yeah. I cannot wait for that. that. I'm more excited about watching Tongan play play rugby league than I am watching Australia, New Zealand, oh, or Great Britain. Yeah. completely agree. Completely agree. Like, it's like they're it's... my favourite international team easily. Them in Fiji. Uh, then it's probably PNG. And then it's France. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on all of those because you want to see someone different winning yeah. games of footy. Mm. Like we see Australia, England, New Zealand all the time, especially the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's just all we get hammered with. And it's just great to see other teams playing international footy and even better when they win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that game when uh, Tonga beat New Zealand in the World Cup, Fantastic. like I, that might be my favourite international game ever. Yeah. I fully agree. Now, two last bits of news. One that's coming today, and that is uh, racing boss Peter Vlandis has re- will replace Peter Beattie as ARLC chairman at the end of October this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the media have been pushing for Vlandis to have this gig ever for a since, long time, too. Ever, yeah. Ever since the Labor politician got the gig initially. Yeah, and look, I... I, look, when Peter Beattie come in, right, I was behind him. I thought, this will be good. You know, he's somebody that's on the front foot a lot of the time, but he really just ended up being a politician. Um, I can't think of anything that Peter Beattie really did, like, properly. Like, there's not... What's What will Peter Beattie's legacy be? Um, and I can't think of it. And that's, that's a concern for me. You know, if Philandis can come in, 
and do something positive for the game and leave a legacy. And a legacy would be something along the lines of, um, you know, expanding the NRL would be one thing. Um, you know, m- maybe putting more emphasis on international competition would be another thing. But I, I do get concerned when everyone in the media says, oh, this guy would be great because I don't trust the media with anything because yeah. the media, all the media is is just people that are soulless human beings. Well, it's, it's the news creators. So there's a reason why they want him there. Yeah. Because it's going to lead to more news, obviously. So yeah. I don't know what, what the point is behind their massive push for him because mm. it has been and it's been sustained for a while. Um, and I just have this feeling too that, um, Peter, this is not anything personal against you, mate, but uh, just watch yourself, mate, because the first time something bad happens with the, the game's administration, mm. all these people have been talking you up will be out to slash you down. They will smash him. They will absolutely smash him. And the thing is that leading into him getting the role, um, they they use what he's done in the racing industry. It's a weird industry, the racing industry, but they use what he's done in the racing industry as a positive. They will turn that around into a negative really yeah. quickly, however they can. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles that. Um, I just hope he's the right guy. We need we need a leader. And you know what? I hope Peter Volandis comes in and is like, I'm the boss. You do what I say. This is what I want to happen with Australian Rugby League. I don't want him doing the, you know, I'm going and talking to all the shareholders. We don't need shareholders. Like, that's all Peter Beatty did. He talked to shareholders and left. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was disappointing, to say the least. Yeah. So, Peter Volandis, we know you're listening because we know a lot of people listen to this podcast. Peter, be a dictator. Be unmerciful. Take over. Be the boss. Sack anyone that disagrees with you and just do some good stuff for rugby league. When you leave the job, I want you to be able to say, you know what? I'm the reason that this is in place, this is in place, and this is in place. And if you don't like it, I don't care. Absolutely. Just need someone to go out there with a bit of an iron fist and just say, this is how the game's going to go now. Exactly. Oh, and also, Peter, I know somebody that you should get in charge of running the Rugby League Museum in Sydney, okay? I don't need a massive salary, but they're the best man for the job, okay? You, you email me at podcast at com. I give you his details, okay? I, I got you sorted, Pete. Sweet. Yeah, I'm. I'm dare say you got Paul Kent lined up. Don't oh, <laughs> um, right. Well, the interesting thing there, just to close off on that one, is yeah. Landy's will also remain as chief executive of Racing New South Wales while doing this job as well. Yeah, I've, look, I don't know how it works at that level when you're at that sort of corporate level, but it happens all the time. I think it's people would be surprised. You kind of hear, oh, this person is on the board of this big company and you think that's their job, but they're actually on the board of like half a dozen big companies or even half a dozen companies in general and one big company. I think that, that ha- that's just how it works. Yeah, you just get a few meetings and that's it. Yeah, and, and look, I, like, I guess you earn the, those roles, and, and but I, don't, I just don't understand how that works. Like, 
you know, I'm I'm flat out making sure I've got enough coffee in the house to do this podcast. Yeah. Um, Between that and being a, a rugby league expert and a commentator and one of the leading podcasters, it's, it's a lot of juggling. I mean, you'd know that being a rugby league expert, the game's leading statistician, and a rugby league historian and a rugby league author, you would understand that. Yeah, so there's a lot of hats. Lots of hats. Sometimes you could take one off, put one on, you know. No, you don't take any off. You just leave them all on. Sometimes you just sort of blend the whole, all three of them together. You just have a giant top hat with different levels in it. Yeah, it's a top hat with other hats on top of it. Yeah, yeah. And then I like to – It's this just a thing for me. I also like to wear a monocle. Wow, that's fair enough. That's a touch of class, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I have like a pocket watch as well. Um, Fob yeah. watch? Yeah, yeah. I like to pull it out and be like, hmm, what's the time? Old timey you, style, you know. Do you have do you have a watch on your wrist as well? Like, yeah, carry on two clocks? I tell you what, you know, I I need to go the gangster out, okay? We yeah. have two watches. Yeah. Okay. I've got one watch on my it's actually a Fitbit as well. I've got the one watch and it, it's facing upwards on my wrist, but I need the one that faces downwards too. So that's right. um, because that's when you're a true gangster style. It's like that's the new pimp cane. That, well, this is exactly right. Mm. And I think only the most elite humans in society get around with two watches. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you have two watches. Well, you got I do, I do. I don't, I've got business watches too, so they, they look like there's, you know, I'm not here to fuck around. Yeah, but I think what you need, right, you need to have, you need to have one of them is like, ooh, classy, like stylish, right? But the other one's got to be like a, a bit of a banger. It's got to be like, uh, you know, with the almost the leather, or not or not the leather, like the the uh, rubberized sort of watch because it's like, yeah, I've got the class stuff, but I've also got the one that's like I can jump into the pool, have some champers. Uh, mine's just business and business. Business and business, wow. Yeah. That's it. That's impressive. No, no relent here. Yeah. See, I wonder if with my watch – obviously a second watch would be good, but does that get offset by my Thor hammer when I carry that around? Because you you got the the one watch, it's like, okay, one watch. Two watches, it's like gangster. But one watch and a Thor hammer, it, it, what, what's that? What does that convey? You know what, mate? You should put a watch on the Thor hammer. Just to, like, get a strap actually, and put it around just, the base of the, the hammer. Whole, actually, just have the whole handle of the hammer just filled with watches and just Watch. cut that around yeah like that's 10, a great idea just 10 watches oh. on there just walk around with it going check this out this yeah. is how important i am yeah and, and by the way the watch isn't to tell me what i need to do it's just to inform me what others are got to do for me that's right it's like oh that's right it's that time of the day mm-hmm. it's reminding everybody else that you yeah. borrowed time. Yeah, yeah. If you turn up <laughs> and the alarm's already going for you, you're already too late. Good night. <laughs> um, so we'll have a quick look at the upcoming week in footy. Yeah. We'll do an in-depth finals preview, but we'll yeah. just have a quick look now. So this weekend we've got uh, Roosters will play South at the SCG. Uh, Manly will play Cronulla at somewhere that doesn't have asbestos. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Melbourne's going to play Canberra down here at Amy Park, and Parramatta's going to play the Broncos at Bankwest Stadium. I'm really excited for that last one. I might go to that game. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty good one. So there's a pretty big week there. Over in England, they've got mm-hmm. the last week of games before the finals kick in. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting situation over there because it looks like the top eight's already set in stone because yeah. uh, Leeds have finished eight with 11 wins and 17 losses. <laughs> um, they've got a points difference of minus 16. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, which is better than the two teams above them. Um, yeah. They're only two points clear on the ladder from the remaining four teams in the competition who are all on 20 points. Leeds are on 22. But those other four teams all have atrocious points differences. So Wakefield's uh, at ninth on minus 124. So that's 118 worse. Uh, sorry, 108 worse. Mm-hmm. Then Huddersfield, Hull KR, and London. So at this stage, what needs to happen this weekend is London needs to beat Wakefield to avoid relegation. Okay. And if that happens, then relegation is going to come down to being between Huddersfield and Hull KR, depending on how they go against top eight sides. Yeah. Hull KR is probably the one that's at highest risk. Yeah, and like I've seen, I've got a few Hull KR fans that I follow, uh, and they're really worried about this. Um, See, it's yeah. I was gonna say Huddersfield's gonna play Catalan, who was seventh, and Hull KR are playing uh, Salford, who are in the top mm. four. Man, do, do you remember that game <coughs> a few years ago? And I believe it was Salford versus Hull KR, and it was for it was the million pound game they call it. Oh yes, um, and. and I think I'm pretty sure the way it was was that whole KR was leading with say five minutes to go by a, a fair margin, and Salford just roared home. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked, and they ended up winning the million pound game. I um, remember it, that, yeah, yeah, absolutely, cra- like one of the craziest finishes to a game ever. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting if whole KR got that win over Salford. Um, almost like, you know, the rugby league gods saying, you get one back and saving them a little bit. The interesting thing is, okay, is Hull KR, even if, if they if they lose, but Huddersfield loses as well, Hull KR's loss needs to be um, at least eight points better than Huddersfield's because mm-hmm. that's the points difference between them. Huddersfield's got minus 207, Hull KR's minus 219. Mm-hmm. So if Huddersfield goes down by two and Huddersfield goes down by 12 then and London wins, then Huddersfield gets relegated. Yeah, I think the other night when we were talking about this, I felt as though maybe it was going to be Huddersfield for some reason. And I can't remember. Oh, it was because the Wakey and London, if they got a draw maybe, something yes. like that, and then yeah, Huddersfield a... got whipped. Yeah, if Huddersfield, yes, thing. If Huddersfield loses by at least eight points more than what Hull KR does, mm. Huddersfield are out, mm. and that's Huddersfield are tenth on the ladder. So yeah. it's a pretty crazy situation. If Leeds points difference had it been the same as say Hull FCs, which is minus one hundred and seven, yeah, then we could have had a situation this weekend where Leeds could have lost, and uh, Wakefield, Huddersfield, and Hulk KR could have lost, and that meant that the last place London Broncos would have went from last to the finals in one game. Can you imagine <laughs> what 
the the owners of Leeds and the people running the Rugby Football League, the the absolute sigh of relief they all had because, you know, and, and I particularly don't like the Leeds club, and it's for no reason other than footy. You know, they haven't done anything bad. But um, can you imagine if one of their bigger clubs got relegated and then had to be stripped of all of its assets, like what happens every single time someone gets relegated, and they're not in the top competition, it would have been pretty bad. It would have been pretty bad. And, uh, man, they're, they're just outside of that, that level, you know. They just just made it pretty crazy. Yeah. It's high time that the RFL starts looking at making a few more powerful clubs because to be relying on the same three for mm. 20, 30-odd years... Mm. All it takes is one, you know, if Leeds had been two games worse this year, bang, they're out. Two games. Two, yeah, yeah. You know what they need to do? They need to, I think what they need to do, first of all, they need to go to a five-team final system because this eight out of 14 is bloody ridiculous. Twelve. Eight out of 12. Uh, eight out of 12. <laughs> eight yeah. out of 12. It's ridiculous. Oh, ridiculous. It's absurd. So, it's absurd. The, the top five teams are the only teams who have got a... Better than 50% win record and a positive points difference. So Hull FC are six, uh, and they've got they won 15 of 28, so they had a better than 50% win record, but their points difference is minus 107. It's so dumb. It's so, so ridiculous. You could almost make an argument for there to be a top six, which is half the competition. Fair enough. But yeah. top eight in this comp is ridiculous. They either need to expand it to 14 or 16 clubs, or, yeah, take it to a top five final series. Yeah, and that look, they need... They desperately need Toronto in there, uh, and they need um, Toulouse in there, and I would, and they need London in there. They do, um, yeah. Uh, maybe they could just bring Toronto and Toulouse in. They're trying to do it the right way, and you've got to credit them to that. They're letting these teams build up, but they need to, I think, look at what they want Super League to be. And I think that the place where you need Super League to be is you need these. Uh, international teams and these bigger clubs to be able to be the foundation of everything else. And, you know, they're trying to let it all happen organically. And they have done that to a certain extent. But um, you can't have the... I mean, what has London got out of coming up this year and then going straight back down? Nothing really. No Uh, team gets anything out of that, ever. Not ever, ever, ever. And look, you can see that in the Premier League with teams like um, even Newcastle United, who've done it a lot recently, um, Sunderland. I mean, eventually it, there just comes a breaking point when a club goes up and down like that in the yo-yo style, I call it, and it eventually breaks them and they they tumble. Yeah, because to start with, they can't financially survive in the more expensive top-tier competition. Mm. But when they go down, everyone goes, oh, they're crap again. So people stop turning up when they go back in division. Mm-hmm. And so it just costs money each time either way. So yo-yo is the worst thing possible. Mm-hmm. I This year I would have just said, you know what, let's just bring up two teams, mm-hmm. no relegation from Super League, bring it up to a 14-team comp, bring up the top two teams from second division mm-hmm. and just be done with it. And then you'd have a 14-team yeah. comp in the Super League, which would include London, Toulouse and Toronto. Mm-hmm. That's Super League next year, 14 teams. You can keep your top eight then. 
And, you know, if I was the Rugby Football League, and, man, this could be a whole episode. If I was the Rugby Football League, I would go to see the NRL. Say, you want an NRL Perth team, right? What we would love to do is to fund that team or have that team in our competition or one of our competitions and, and put some tips of money in and have them in, say, say the championship or something um, until such time as they're ready for the NRL. I'd, I'd give them two years, give them one year in League One, one year in Championship, just like they did yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, exactly, and, and have them come through, and I think that would be great for them over there. I think it'd be great for Perth Rugby League. I think it'd be great for the NRL, so that you've got this team that comes in and they're not just they're not just thrown together at the last minute, which is going to happen if you're going to franchise it. Um, and I think that would work out pretty well for everyone. Yeah, it certainly would. And the other thing you could do as well is when that Perth side comes into the NRL, the players that they bring in at that level are going to be different. I mean, there's going to be a lot more first graders. You might still have that Perth team that was in the championship in its last year over there. You might still have the bulk of those players available as maybe a reserve grade team or something. They could still play in the championship. Well, the thing is, you also what you'd be doing is also creating depth already at the club. Yeah, and because they're not playing in an elite competition, you'd probably automatically start drawing on local players as well. And exactly, man, that yeah. is just so so. That'd be so powerful for the club when it finally gets to the NRL. It really would. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was Steve Mascord that was talking about that. He's the first person I saw talking about that, and I remember it because when I read about it, I was like, "Damn, I wish I'd thought of that." <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes, yeah, like, because I like to, I've written about a lot of things that are a bit out there with ideas and stuff like that over the years, and uh, then you see somebody come up with a, something, and you're like, man, I wish so, damn it, why didn't I think of that? Because it's, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Absolutely. All righty, well, uh, that wraps up a big day of news. Yeah, yeah. From now on, from for the rest of the week, we'll have a an episode about, the uh, final series, we'll have a dedicated finals uh, preview. Uh, we'll probably wait until after the teams have been named for that. Um, we've got an episode. There's a thing that I'm trying to set up with women uh, calling games, which we'll do a, a episode dedicated to that with a bit more information about that. That'll come up. And, and just generally, you know, it's going to be a fun week. I love this time of the year. It's the best thing. We're, we're already, we actually ha- we've actually started planning stuff for this mm. month. Mm. And we've got some big plans. Yeah. We've got some big plans. We've, we've got... Oh, I'm not even going to go into it. Let's just surprise the hell out of you all. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I'm I'm better tomorrow. I'm not sniffling all over the uh, program. Poor Greeno. <laughs> if you're better tomorrow, he's going to be stuffed on Wednesday. Yeah, we, we do tag team a fair bit. So I dare say he's in good health at the moment. Yeah, so, he must be really healthy. Right now, he's just getting about his business. Like, he's, he's talking to colleagues. He's like, man, I feel great today. I don't know what it is. He doesn't realise. He doesn't realise. It's coming. It's coming, yeah. Garino. Sorry, mate. It's your yeah. turn soon. <laughs> this, is, this is, what, the fifth or sixth time this year I've copped the flu? It's been a horror year. It really has been, yeah. Yeah, earlier this year, I wasn't well. But then... Uh, yeah, we both were all right for a while, and now it's just bang. It's just smashed out. The end of the winter, too. Yeah, as always. Yeah. Anyways, enough about my misery. Um, <laughs> do a few shout-outs. So, uh, obviously, get in touch with 
You can get in touch with Greeno at the starting block. Let's drop the K on the end. You check out their yep. podcast on, uh, they record it live on Periscope and on Twitter every Wednesday night. So get in there and check that out. Um, check out our, our podcast Twitter account, Fergo Freak Pod. Uh, yeah, we've got a, we had a few polls and stuff on there during the week and you can get interacting with it, with us on there. Yeah, Any, well, you can. The best way to get in touch with us, though, is directly, hey, at our yeah. uh, separate uh, Twitter feeds. We, I think we set up the podcast one to try and not um, spam too much about the podcast on our main feeds. We failed miserably in that. I know I have. I've, I'm always spamming about the podcast, hey? <laughs> <laughs> But that doesn't seem to have been taken the wrong way. No, no. People have been so so great with helping us promote the podcast and get the, getting things out there, and um, it's been amazing. It really has. Yeah, it keeps growing. It's getting we're, – we're breaking our own records for downloads per week, month, you know, over the, every, nearly every single week now. So it's, uh, it's gone fantastically. So thanks to everyone for that. Um, yeah, check out – Leaguefreak.com yep. for all your opinion writing and, and the like. He's uh, also got polls on there. All the podcasts can be found on there as well as links to every single podcast provider. So um, if you've got another one you want to check out, another one you you prefer to the one you're currently listening to us on, you can find them all there. Um, we're also on YouTube. Uh, the link's also over there at leaguefreak.com. So check us out there as well. Make sure you subscribe, like all the uh, videos. Subscribe to us also on your uh, podcast device. Give us a give us a review as well, five star rating. That'd be fantastic. Mm. And the other thing is, go to rugbyleagueproject.org for all of your rugby league statistics. They're all always just the best source for rugby league stats. They're all triple checked. Um, there's a, there's stats that you find on. Even the NRL website, I mean, we've got in touch with the NRL sometimes and said, hey, your, your stats are wrong here. Um, so get in, get onto rugbyleagueproject.org, and, and that's the best place to get rugby league statistics for, at, like, just historical ones, up-to-date ones, ladders, ladders for different divisions. Like, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's, the, only, it's the only place you need to go for stats. Yeah, it's... Uh... We've even got little bits of history in there as well. Mm. Just trying to find there was one great story here. It is on the nineteen twelve tour from uh, by New South Wales to New Zealand. There was a game between Canterbury mm-hmm. and New South Wales, mm-hmm. and the referee was deemed to have been so poor at his job in the first half that both sides agreed to have him replaced at half time. The reason why he was so poor, mm. he was a bit drunk. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. so there you go they must have just got together and said listen this guy's pissed man we need we need to get another ref I wonder where they got the ref from though well the name of the referee is A. Hooper and I don't I haven't been able to find out yet whether that was a touch judge yeah or if it had been the New South Wales team manager whose name was Ted Hooper who actually was a referee in the very first week of games played in the you know, in the New South Wales Rugby League in 1908. Oh, okay. Haven't been able to, to verify mm. that yet. The fact that yeah. it says A. Hooper suggests it's not him, but may have been a, uh, you know, changed the name up just to throw people off a bit. I don't know. Yeah, and the thing, uh, th- this is something I want to say, because I know you won't say it. The, the thing about uh, that 
Andrew does is he literally looks through like he goes to libraries and he looks through like records. He looks through all sorts of stuff. And like he, if he can, if the information exists, he actually finds it and he updates like parts of rugby league history that had been completely lost otherwise. And that's why to get in, in into his Patreon and to like add, add a, just a couple of bucks a month would be great to his Patreon because it, it frees up his time to do that sort of stuff. And it's not just about the websites or anything. It's like literally piecing together these tiny bits of rugby league history that have been absolutely lost. Um, you were telling me some information about uh, Terry Lamb's career that you actually found some information about his um, games played and and helped put that together and piece that together. Um, and, and that's why it's so... It, it's, it'd be great for the game if more people got involved and, and, and put into your Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, more so the fact that it's just the Rugby League Project website has become... A, it's, it's basically a full-time job now. There's mm. there's, a, there's almost 50,000 games that need to be entered into the website yet. I've got the details of them, I, and some of them I've got to finish researching on. But mm. for probably 48,000 of them, the, all that's done. They've just got to be added in. And it's all from the English competition back to 1895. Mm. So we would actually have every professional game in Australia and England at club level um, in the website then. And nowhere, nowhere else has all of that in one spot. Um, that includes every Challenge Cup game as well. Um, all the tour games have been added in there. Just got to put in the, the uh, try scorers and team lineups. And there's a, there's about 2,500 of those games probably. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about another 15,000 updates that are sitting in the back end waiting to be implemented as well. There's about 20,000 comments that need to be manage and go through to go onto the website too so it's there's so much work to do so um it really is a full-time job um and yeah i mean as people would know if you've interacted with me on on uh, twitter and asked me questions on there i'll answer your questions about the the history and the stats and stuff like that and even if it means i'm going to go and do a day's worth of research i'll go do it um so you're not just paying for the uh for the for the website to get updated and have it continually running, but you're also paying to get me to you know, do some stats work for you as well. So, um, yeah, you get a double benefit out of it, really. So yeah, get the, on there and make a donation. And the other thing is too, there's, it's not like once you've sorted out this information and and stuff that you're like, well, this is mine. I'll work to get all this stuff, and you know, I don't just give it away. Like literally people ask you questions about all sorts of stuff and it's not just people on Twitter. It's like people in the media and things like that. And you're always so forthcoming with this information that you found. And there's, there's some people that don't do the same thing. And so this information, I mean, you gather it and it's just, I love the way you do it because it's like, I found this information and it's rugby leagues and it's here it is. I found it. Whereas there's a lot of people that, they gather information and it's like, well, this is mine, you know, and it's that's not how it, it should be working. And that's what I love, the difference that with how you manage all of the information that you find and put together. Um, and it, it becomes something for all of rugby league and all rugby league fans and all rugby league clubs. 
Um, and and that's that's fantastic. So you should be applauded for that. Yeah, geez, mate. It's uh, it's one thing I've always said is that it's made by fans for the fans. Mm. It'll always be that way. So yeah. Um, other than that, anyone else want to give some shout outs to? Um, I'd like to just give a quick shout out to everyone at Swa Sports, everyone I worked with on the weekend. It was a fantastic weekend. Um, the next uh, round of Canterbury Cup games is on at Leichhardt Oval this weekend. I've still got to work out whether I'll be able to be there or not this weekend. I'm hoping I will be. But uh, if you get on Swa Sports and you can hear the commentary for those games on the weekend, and uh, let me tell you that the the standard is really really good like the games are really really good so uh, yeah, the just standard like of the commentary is good too mate yeah well, like it's interesting it's something that personally I feel as though the podcast has helped me with a lot and it's something that I like I really try and think about what I'm doing and and try and improve there are areas I can improve on but um yeah it's it's really a lot of fun I really enjoy it. Oh, you sound like an absolute natural. Really? Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. There you go. <laughs> like a <Nice>. troll. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, all righty. Well, at that rate, we'll wrap it up and say goodbye, and uh, we'll probably have an episode out tomorrow. Yeah, or in the next five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Catch us later. <laughs>